<laughs> I know. It's really difficult. Very difficult when nothing you do is important. Our life is hard. So hard. Thank you. Finally, someone says it. Even my mom doesn't believe me. I'm just like, Mom, my life's hard. Money, please. <laughs> She's like, I have no younger son. <laughs> like, great, Mom. <laughs> New phone, who dis? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Awesome, Mom. This sounds like my graduation speech you gave again. <laughs> Welcome to the No Budget Filmmaking Podcast, presented by Cinema Summit, a podcast about the art of making films, no matter how small the budget. And now, here are your hosts, Alex Dark and Trevor L. Nelson. Hey everyone, thanks for joining us. This is episode 8 of the No Budget Podcast, No Budget Filmmaking Podcast. Wow. Yeah. Just No Budget Podcast. That's actually the best way That's to describe it. That's actually more accurate, I guess. Yeah. yeah. This is the No Budget Filmmaking Podcast. I'm Trevor L. Nelson. And I'm Alex Dark. And today we're going to be talking about low budget lighting. Yeah, everyone loves lighting. Yeah, they do. Yeah, they do. Uh, but first, What's new? What's new? What is new? Um, Alex, you could take this one off the top because you did something kind of cool today. Oh, yeah. I had uh, the opportunity to go uh, over... Wait, and... first, yep. what are we drinking today? Oh, God, yeah. What are we drinking, Trevor? <sighs> nice, refreshing... Is that a tab? That, yeah. <laughs> tab cola? It, it is a... It, what is the, the, the Walmart knockoff Dr. Pepper? Uh, Mr. Pibb? No, Mr. Pibb. <laughs> Mr. Pibb's <laughs> too high end for Walmart, even. Um, there's, there was Mountain RC? Thunder or something like oh, that. that they, all the bad knockoffs. I don't even know those ones. But in actuality, we are drinking Miller Lite again. Just yeah. nice and refreshing. Just our, our old standby. As they, our old standby. We have a fridge of it. As they say. We, got, we, we upgraded the kegerator. The new one's coming soon, so we don't have the keg yet. But we have a fridge full of Miller Lite, and we're going to keep drinking it. Yes, we are. Until it's all gone, and we have to buy more. Yep. All right. Back to back to your story. Go ahead. Tell okay. them some things. Yeah. So, I got a, a text this weekend saying we had some random new project that we uh, were thrust into, and had to thrust. Uh, yeah, thrust into, and all we had right. to uh, sort of throw it together pretty quick. Um, but it basically, it it's involves uh, Jewel, the singer. Oh, the singer. Yeah. Um, okay. And uh, she's going to do some behind the scenes videos of her writing process for all those jewel fans out there expect a new album soon she's in yeah, the exactly. writing she's process writing. writing and recording um and so i i went over to the house that she's doing all her writing at and uh showed her how to use a, a gopro hero 6 yeah with an attached mic and all that fun stuff all so that stuff she's so. gonna be putting out some uh um some videos of behind the scenes of her process yeah and i don't actually even know what format it's going to come out? Of. No, is it going to be a YouTube? We don't know if we're going to be doing posts on it or not, thing. or if we're just kind of helping out somebody. But is it uh, going to be just for her own personal, you know, viewing? archive? Yeah, she, I, I don't know. From what she told Alex, she tends to um, write her. She tends to re- audio record all of her writing sessions just so they can keep the melodies in order if they forget one. Yeah. So maybe that's just what this is with the video. But I don't know. I think yeah. uh, it it's makes just sense. One of those random things. All of a sudden, yeah. I'm I'm driving over to Jules' house. Yeah, you are. Strange. Yeah. Life is weird. Yes, out it here is. Here in LA. And speaking of weird, we're going to Vegas this weekend, baby. Yeah, we are. Let's get weird. Well, actually, we probably by the time you listen to this, we've already gone to Vegas, and so we might be dead. We yeah, die from might acute be. alcohol poisoning. Well, acute. Well, that would be nice. Yeah, nothing about us ugly, is acute. Ugly, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, for those who don't know, big guy to my right here, Alex, is getting married in a few short weeks, and we're going to Vegas yeah. for his bachelor party. 
His hometown. Yeah, and my fiance is not thrilled about how close the bachelor party is to the actual wedding. It's because... oh, come on, it's like three weeks away. Yeah, that's not enough time to recover from a serious injury, though. That's true. You may be having a beautiful cast for your wedding, and yeah. that'll be all thanks to everyone else except me. To Trevor L. Nelson. Oh, hell no. I'm not taking any blame for that. Um, what else do we got? Um, well, we are also setting up our green room. So we in our studio, we have basically two buildings kind of connected. Um, we have our green screen studio in the back where we can you know do... Talking head stuff. Uh, testimonials, interviews, um, YouTube videos, do a lot of stuff. We've, we've shot some videos of our own there for Cinema Summit. Um, the intros to all of our interviews that we've done on Cinema Summit are shot there. Um, and then we also have our kind of office area, which also has a green room area where talent and people renting out our studio can kind of relax, watch some TV, grab a beer, sit on the couch, kind of just commiserate and enjoy themselves. But we decided that, you know what, why don't we use this as a second shooting spot? Yeah, so we we mounted up some lights in the corners and some backlights. We got a couple hives up there. Um, we're gonna do roll in some uh, some key and fill lights. I think um, we're gonna use the Cineos on battery power for that. Ooh, I love we that. We just have some Anton Bowers sitting over there on the charge. We can just pull off and yep, be cord free, which I love because man. Yep, and if you follow Gilded Cinema's uh, Instagram or Cinema Summit's Instagram, you'll see our logo painting on the wall, and that is actually our green room that is going to be used as a backdrop for uh, future videos. Exactly. Uh, for some tutorials and some direct-to-camera, hey guys, look at us kind of stuff. Yeah, so hopefully it'll be a little bit easier for us to sort of make these uh, these little videos for the blog and for different things. So yeah, so hopefully you'll be seeing some more of that pretty soon. Oh, unfortunately, you're also going to be seeing some of us soon, so I apologize for that. Yeah. Um, but then you're also... put on the thin filter. Oh, man, that doesn't exist. I've tried every combination of that. I just cover it with my finger. <laughs> <laughs> I just cut my... I just I frame the camera so it's just my head in the bottom of the frame. You don't see anybody. Hey, yo. Hey. And then also we started to receive emails about the show. We love getting them. Uh, feel free to send away. Um, you know, let us know what you think, if you have any questions and all that. This time we got one from Zef Koda from Af Alphabet City Films. He reached out to us and told us that he's listened to all the podcasts and he loves what we're doing and to keep it up. So thanks, Zef. We're uh, big fans of you you being fans. So, uh, yeah. so you know, hit us up. We're not, we're not shy. Don't be shy. We're not, uh, we don't bite. Uh, yeah. Digitally through the airwaves. <laughs> that I know bad. that, but we were talking to him about his no budget feature. Yeah. Or low budget, micro budget, whatever you want to call it, feature uh, that he just finished called The Trouble. I believe the budget on that was $12,500. So that yeah. falls right into the no budget, low budget, micro budget uh, realm. Exactly. And uh, so we might have him on the podcast here pretty soon, hopefully. Yeah. Uh, to talk about that project, which yeah. I think will be pretty cool. Unless before we get him on, he realizes how bad this podcast is and deletes all the episodes and never wants to talk to us again. That's true. Which it happens be. all the time. It could be. It's like... It's Come just, back, it's, Mom. I'm, I apologize. I know. I just had flashbacks to prom. <laughs> all the regrets people have. Ah, story of my life. Story of my life. So let's move on. You know, we've done enough uh, bullshitting for a little bit, so let's move on to the important Shenanigans. stuff. Shenanigans. Yes. Uh, let's uh, move on to the important stuff and talk about low-budget lighting. Alex is going to be a star in this one because he is the DP of the group. He is the man when it comes to lighting. going to be a shining star. Yeah. Yeah. A beacon. Of knowledge and experience. Yeah. A, a beacon of bacon. 
So where do you want to start off? Let's talk about lighting for locations. So you know, in yeah. this day and age in low, no budget filmmaking, you are not going to be ha- not usually going to have the opportunity to rent a soundstage where you can shoot all you want and set up as you want. So you're going to be shooting locations, a lot of locations, a lot of maybe even stolen locations, as people like to say. Uh, yes. But yes, uh, yes. what do you what do you recommend when you're lighting for locations? Um, I like to initially um, sort of scope out where the practicals are like the lamps and if there's any mm-hmm. sort of built-in lighting yeah um and see and use that kind of as motivation for the lighting that you bring in okay and the lighting that you bring in i prefer it if it's it's almost like supplemental to the lighting that's already there okay which works you know in certain situations better than others because maybe like you're in an office with weird fluorescents that aren't colored quite right and then you have to match, you know, color your uh, match your camera to the lights, and so then you need probably LEDs of some kind with color, yeah. or or uh, you need color to bring spectrum. some gels mm-hmm. to sort of match the lights that you bring in to the, are, uh, the gels are slowly going out. Um, so that kind of thing, I think, um, would be sort of like my first, you know, off the top of my head type of method. Now, here's a question and, for you. So you, you show up at a place and you are lighting. You want to use as much of the practical lights that are already there. Yeah. Now, do you have a bag? So say there's a couple of desk lamps and all that and you really yeah. want to use them. Do you bring? Do you work with what is there or do you bring your own bulbs to fill into that desk lamp to get the color you're looking for? Ideally, you'd want to bring your own bulbs of different types. So mm-hmm. you can get the ones that are clear. You can yep. get the frosty ones. Yep. You can get the ones that are more like they have like a cool color to them. Um, and of different watts, but or you could just get uh, a dimmer. But the problem with the dimmer sometimes is that it can sometimes create a noise or like a buzz. Yep, which becomes a problem. And we're, um, we're not talking about noise on the camera or on the image. We're actually talking physical noise for audio. For it, audio, it so creates a be buzz a- because it's regulating power, and the power can create a buzz. You can create a buzz both in the bulb itself or and in the uh, the actual dimmer sometimes, mm-hmm. especially with the sort of like cheapy thumb slider ones yeah. for the, the lower wattage. Well, what, what, I mean, what about something like, um, I know you have a couple um, in your gig bag, uh, uh, something like an Illumi, or yeah. I have at home LifeX bulbs, which are full color range spectrum light bulbs that, just, yes. that go into any socket. And those are really cool. I, had, I do have a bunch of those, and I have like the floodlight type ones, but they do make ones that are more like bulb shaped. Mm-hmm. The only problem with those at the moment, and I'm just kind of waiting, I wish... I wish this product would exist. I wish someone like Hive or some other like Quasar or whoever, you know, Quasar or Science. Gilded or Gilded Cinema. Pre-order now. You know, Kickstarter or, coming soon. Or Digital Sputnik or whatever yeah. would create like an, a color accurate yeah. uh, bulb that could just fit into a regular socket that you could dim and it won't cause issues. Because the problem with those um, comes with the frequency that it emits light at or whatever. Because what will happen is if you're not at the correct shutter speed like the one correct shutter speed mm-hmm. you'll get the banding across the image which is you know basically makes everything you shoot totally useless if you somehow don't catch it yeah uh, in time and sometimes it's pretty subtle you know if you're shooting on a dslr especially you know, all you're shooting on is like a little built-in monitor you might not see it because it's not as dramatic as it would be if you were at, like you know yeah a different shutter angle but um so that's something to think about. I think for mine, you have to stay at 50. Okay. One over, um, one over 50. Otherwise, you'll get... So if you want to do any type of 
you know, different shutter yeah, angle, you're, you're, you're screwed. You, you can't do it. Uh, and keep in mind, these things like the Illumi and like the LifeX are great. It's one of uh, the example of us tending to use um, products not as they're specifically designed for. So yeah. the Life LifeX and the Illumi are just cool light bulb. In general terms, they're just cool light bulbs to have at your house, and they just want to add these effects of like. You know, the LifeX has built-in Wi-Fi. The Illumi has Bluetooth, and you can control them with your phone, and it kind of makes it convenient at home. And while it's convenient on set, we, you got to keep in mind these are not designed to be used for filming. Um, no. We're just kind of kind of grabbing them to give ourselves a little bit more freedom, but with that freedom comes a little bit of setback. And with mine, I don't know about yours, uh, but with the Bluetooth, it's a little questionable in terms of reliability Mm -hmm. uh pairing with them and then recognizing them when you want yeah and every once in a while the problem so i ended up using them kind of a lot on a gig and it was we were shooting like these miniatures and so i wanted to get the lights kind of pretty close and so it was basically just bare bulb sockets from uh lowell yeah that you could put on stands or, or like set around and um uh i would get them really close to these miniatures and uh the problem was people would step on the switch and then when you turn it back on, it would just automatically go back to the default setting. So if I had set it to like a specific color and someone stepped on it and turned it off, then it would switch back to the default, which was like just a daylight or something. And uh, I would have to go back in and dial it. Yeah. And that is, I think that's true with all light bulbs because they don't have a battery in them to store settings. And so while, you know, you can quote unquote, turn them off on, in a in a socket, they're not really turned off. They're still getting power. They're just turning off their light, and right. so that's how they store their their settings. And so, I don't think there's any out there that if you could remove it from power, it will save its settings. The only way it would work on mine is if I every time I changed it the color, I set that to the default. Yeah, which is awfully annoying. Which is super annoying, and so, and, and very easy to forget. Yeah. But I do. I, I've always loved the idea of having that ability to, um, you know, basically just customize every light, you know, every practical to whatever yeah. color. Maybe you, know, you might not go crazy with like crazy colors, but yeah. at least being able to dial in the right color temp would be pretty cool. Well, what's also awesome about them, and again, you know, these are just using what you can. They're a lot cheaper than some other alternatives, but we actually lent them to a friend of ours who was doing a shoot for BuzzFeed, and she was doing a shoot that about how to escape a uh, burning house. Um, right. And these, um, you know, these bulbs, the Illumi, the LifeX, uh, you know, the Philips Hub, that those kind of things. The Philips Hue, which has a, needs a hub. Um, they have really cool effects, which is like firelight. So they'll flicker between orange and red and yellow in a in a pattern that, when you know, shot at somebody, it'll mimic the effect of like fire burning in front of them and crackling. And that's seeing being said, a lot more professional lights are getting those effects too. We're you know we're just waiting for them to roll out the Hive updates that give us those effects because those uh, you know full spectrum um, LED lights, uh, the hopefully. The firmware says it's going to get police lights, so we'll be able to switch between red and blue. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to get fire effects, firework effects. And so um, there are some really cool things about these little light bulbs that just are kind of like you would think they were novelties for home use, but you can get a lot of use out of them for location setting. Definitely. And like I said, as long as you do the right testing and make sure that they work 
um, and you're not distorting your image in any way by using them because the other thing to think about is like the dimming on a lot of these. It's not a standard dim where it's actually regulating power to it. It's like a digital dim, yeah. you know, and that's mm-hmm. also, that can be a problem and create banding as well. So you need to test all that stuff out before you go out and shoot with them uh, to make sure you're not going to get screwed. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so, um, so anything yeah. else about lighting and locations? We went off on well, a tangent there like we used to do. Yeah, one, uh, another thing, um, I, I, I wish I had pictures. Maybe we'll put pictures in the... Uh, in the show notes, because it's going to be kind of hard to describe this, but they have the they make these little uh, extenders, these Edison bulb extenders ah, that swivel. Yes, yes, yes. And so you can drop down. So if you had like let's say um, a light bulb in the ceiling, uh, you could take the bulb out and put this extender in it, so it would make it lower, um, and you can then swivel the bulb to point in a specific direction, so it's not. Um, you know, not just straight down sort of flood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, which can be kind of cool to sort of get the light closer to where you really want it to be. If you're using that as sort of like a backlight or a key light or something, um, getting it down lower so it's not creating the raccoon shadows, yeah. the eyeballs or whatever, you know. Anything that you can use on set that's already there with a couple modifications is just, it lightens your load. It makes the shoot itself easier and quicker. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I love those kind of things. It could just kind of like manipulate what's already there and gives you a little more freedom mm-hmm. like those extenders. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And even if uh, another application for those, I would say is if you had a lamp uh, and let's say you didn't, ha- you needed like an extra light to mm-hmm. use on your talent and you're like, oh, I don't have like, I only brought my airy kit. I'm using all of the lights. <laughs> yeah. You could pull a lamp over, use that swivel head to be able to point the bulb at them instead of having just like a, a an open lamp yeah. or whatever. And get a little bit more usability out of it that way. Um, so that could be another thing you could do. Um, yeah, so I think uh, when it comes to practicals... Uh, use the hell out of what you can, get, you can there. Yeah, just use everything that you can. Try to get the most out of it. But if you need to, don't be afraid to pull bulbs out, turn the lights off, you know. Start do do what you got to do. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think a lot of people fear that, you know, they shouldn't start from scratch because it just take too much time or something like that. But you know what? Sometimes it's like, again, always think about posts. Like, just like you're thinking like, oh, you know, if if you're not at the right shutter speed, some of these things will band and you can't see it. Well, if you can't fix that in post if nope. it's banding. Um, so you just got to think about posts. Like if, if your colors are all over the spectrum in, in different pockets of the room, because you're just trying to get as much as you can of practicals because you, you think you're saving yourself time and money and energy. Once you get into post, you're going to be in for a world of headaches. Yeah. Because you just tried to kind of do the best you could on set and kind of take away at work a little bit to make things move faster. And the other thing to, to make note of is like in the wide shots, you're probably going to rely on practicals way more because you won't have as many lights to be able to light the whole room or if you're in like a big office or whatever you know like uh you'll have to use the practicals for that but when you go in for the close and medium shots and stuff like that you can sort of get a little bit more precise and use your yeah your kits and your lights and everything that you've brought in um to do more like cinematic lighting and if you're in the in the, if you're in the master shot that's just more time you have to hide those lights if you're if you can't hang yeah. them if you can't if you have to put them on stands you got to figure out a way to to hide them 
Um, so it's just make things easier for you any way you can. Any way you freaking can make it easier for you because it will be easier across the board. Yeah. So let's talk about uh, getting some cheap Sex, lights. Baby. Let's talk about... Okay. Oh, yeah, this is, our, this is our jam because uh, as you may have heard in other episodes, we love equipment. Uh, new, old, uh, cheap used uh kind of expensive um yeah whatever Um, doesn't matter we're not picky no we're not picky at all um so we tend to a lot of times buy older lights just because they serve a purpose and they we're able to get a lot more for our money and we make it work we got um you know we've bought mac techs which are a lot of people will probably say like is old technology because they're you know single color light led bulbs um yeah, old technology LEDs. <laughs> yeah, I know. But in nowadays and age, that yeah, is kind of old. It's old It's for not LEDs. full spectrum. It's not even bicolor. Yeah, um, it's a little bit lower CRI. You got yeah. to put some uh, plus green on it yep. because they, they aired on the side of magenta because mm-hmm. back in the day, all those LEDs had green spikes. That oh. was kind of like the, the, the color of death on your, on your project. So they put it more towards magenta, but uh, just a little... Eighth green really does the trick for those. Yep. We also get old tungsten every once in a while. We do. Mole Richardson lights, um, Strand, uh, Desisti. Desisti. All that stuff, you know, it's like, they're first of all, they're tanks. And <sighs> you could just toss those across a river and they would probably still work. And even if they don't, the best thing about old tungsten, or really any tungsten, is that they're so simple yeah. In, in their construction, just like very, very basic skills and knowledge about wiring, you you can yeah. fix it. They're they're just they're basically just lights that are are color accurate. I mean, they just I mean they're great. Yeah. They're great. The color rendition on tungsten is especially on skin skin tone is really you know the gold standard. Yeah. Um, yep. And then when it comes to like. Uh, doing repairs and stuff. I mean, it's basically just a a pl- like a power extension cord connected to a socket, and it's yeah. just three wires: positive, and negative, ground, all that stuff. Can, one's disconnected. You can kind of easily tell which one needs to be reconnected and soldered back on. Easy peasy. Yeah, and so, like, don't be afraid to use old lighting. If you, I mean, again, if you know how to use it and you you're familiar with it, it'll make things a little bit faster. Um, you know, there are some downsides. Some of it can't be wall powered. Some of it has to be powered by generators. We tend to go with the stuff that could be wall powered. Mm-hmm. Um, it gets hot. Gets hot. Gets very hot. Um, and it's heavy. And so it's heavy. Um, but the, the the heat is a big thing because whenever you're in a small room, especially, and you're turning on those three lights that are just tungsten and pushing out some heat. Mm-hmm. Woo! But when you're talking about ten, twenty, thirty dollars per light, I mean. <laughs> To buy? To buy. Like, I mean, you can't hate on that if you're starting your own production company or you're, you know, it, it, you're just realizing that you can buy lights and rent them out when on your own shoots and it just is a cost-saving move. Yeah. And then I think there's, so you have these, this idea of buying kind of cheap uh, film lights, but then there's mm-hmm. other people who go the route of buying, like maybe they don't have access to that stuff or they don't want to like ship stuff out to them. Uh, from eBay or whatever. Yep. Uh, so they opt for going to the old Home Depot. Oh, I remember my first gig bag was just a bunch of those, I mean... Clamp lights, Clamp right? lights, yeah. Clamp lights that I think I went through 20 of them because I would put them in my gig bag, not even thinking about it, and they're so thin that they, they just, just collapse in on themselves. Yeah. I know, yeah. And, but, but they worked. They work, and they're handy, and 
I mean, it's still not a bad idea to bring those because you, you never, never know. know. I mean, you can just clip those things up. I think we, I can't remember the last time we used them, but actually on Larry King, they're a permanent fixture in our studio lighting. Yeah. We use clamp lights to light the... Uh, crazy. They're the down lights for the background. So all the tungsten that you see hitting the, the wooden walls in the background of Larry clamp King's lights. shows are all just Home Depot clamp lights. And again, as you're getting stuff like the Illumi and the LifeX that can go into any regular socket, light socket, clamp lights are great. Yep. They reflect out the light. And You can clip gels to them. That's like... Yeah. You know, you can uh, clip black wrap to it so instead of having barn doors which you would you know want to sort of get a little bit more control mm-hmm. you can just get black wrap which is basically like a heavy duty tin foil that has black color so it doesn't reflect the light it just blocks it out basically so you can sort of cut you and can do form the light patterns. as much as you want you, can, you know do whatever you want yeah I, I got nothing wrong with clamp lights and they're probably like $2.50 and $5 yeah I think yeah totally and also I think um the fixture itself, it's basically just like a china ball fixture that has an extra little clamp on it, right? So you could theoretically yeah. kind of get dual action from it. You could use yeah. it in a china ball if you wanted to, or you could stick the little clamp on it and clamp it somewhere with a little yep. reflector. They're great. Kind of cool. But the problem I see all the time with that idea is people buy like those, and then they also buy the work lights and stuff like the... 1K, 2K halogen work lights, mm-hmm. which are fine too. Yeah. But the problem is both of them require uh, modification. And people too often, I think, they buy them and then they just kind of point them straight at their actors. And that's why they get kind of intense, harsh light and they try to dim it down or they put just like a small piece of diffusion on it, like a little square from a, a diffusion or like a gel kit or something. And you don't get the results that you really want, and it's because you're not modifying it the way you should to yeah. get the most cinematic effect. Because ultimately what you want is like a big soft source. So really what you want to do is take that those work lights and bounce them into something or shoot them through like a big 4x4 four four diffusion or silk or whatever you have, yeah. you know. And silks are, silks are pretty cheap to rent. The frames are pretty cheap. Um, so, you know... With all this stuff, the cheaper you go, the more you have to practice with your equipment to make sure you get the results you want. Um, you know, Alex pointed out a great point, and that was that a lot of people just grab it and be like, "All right, I'm good." And I mean, I remember my first student films were very harsh lighting because I, you know, I hadn't taken my cinematography classes yet, and so it was like, you know, I was was blasting these lights at one it worked fine because it was one of those interrogation scenes where you know the light hangs overhead and is a sh- sharp cut shadow yeah. on the person but for everything else it just looked blown out it looked and it looked overlit because i overlit. didn't That's i didn't diffuse it i didn't i didn't soften it up a little bit i didn't flood it out and so make sure that if you're gonna go cheap you can and get great results you just have to practice you have to practice and it'll be worth it yeah and this goes into something I'm going to skip ahead a little bit Uh and talk about um, how, I guess I'm not skipping ahead, but uh, why certain low-budget projects tend to sometimes look off in the lighting. It's just not quite right, you know? You mean skipping ahead to the exact next thing that's on our list? Yeah. I guess I wasn't sure if we were were done with that. We'll probably come back to most out of cheaper lights. I mean, it's it's all encompassing. Yeah. I mean, the fact that 
this is the other side of what not to do with cheaper lights. So we already talked yes. about what, what to do and what you should can use. Yeah. But going, then, going back to what you just said, where you had your student films, and I did the same thing because I wasn't, I, I didn't know yet. And back then, you know, you didn't have the internet to look things up. So yep. if you looked up light modifiers in like books and stuff, a lot of it was photography. You'd see like umbrellas and things. And yeah. You weren't really sure how it kind of uh, moved into the film industry. Yeah. But um, so why do lower budget projects tend to kind of look off? I think it's because uh, one definite reason, like you said, is that overlit look. Yes. That is the biggest giveaway of like a film that is just. Yeah. And has the look of, I don't want to say cheap, but like. Just off, like you said. Yeah, it's off slightly, and it, and it's hard to describe like what overlit means because um, it can mean a lot of things. But I, to me, what it means, there's two things actually, like two signs of overlit uh, projects. And for the first one goes exactly back to what you were just saying, which is really harsh light in a situation where it doesn't make sense that there's harsh light. So yeah. if you're inside. For the most part, there's <laughs> no harsh light hitting you unless you're sitting right next to a window with the sun coming through it. You know, it's like for the for the most part, overhead lights, um, lights from a lamp. You're not going to get well, like if you a really have a roof in the room. If you don't have a roof, yeah, that that's you're not inside anymore. Nailed it. That's outside. Nailed it. Nailed it. That's being caught outside. Him, caught him in a lie. Ah, uh, <laughs> oh, damn, you got me. Um, yep. yep. Yeah, yeah, and I would say another one that, that I always know is, is it looks a little off because there's no contrast. It's just a giant flood. So there's no shadows. There's no, you know, there's no oh, yeah. separation or, from the background from other actors. Right, because the light's coming straight from the camera. Exactly. Side, and so it's just kind of like flat. Again, yep. it's, you don't have any directionality to it, which again comes down to like proper motivation. You hear that all the time, which is like... The motivation for your lighting. Every, you're going to hear it. If you haven't heard it yet, you will hear it. Uh, and it really is super important because you need if if you are placing a light somewhere and it has no motivation, that's basically like the perfect example of overlighting. Because if you want something to look natural, um, you just mimic what nature gives you. Yeah. Uh, but then you go on to this idea of like stylizing things, and to me, stylizing comes down to enhancing what nature has provided mm-hmm. a little bit, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so perhaps it's motivated in its direction. Like there's a, a lamp behind you. And so you have this kind of harsh edge light. Yeah. And so in reality, it wouldn't probably be that harsh, but you've, you've plussed it a little bit as they say. Um, and maybe made it a little bit brighter and a little bit crazier for the style that you yeah. decided to go for, but at least it's motivated directionally and color wise, you know, stuff like that. So it lives in a real world. It's just going crazy and having a party. You know, I remember when I was doing, um, not to name drop, I was doing some cinematography stuff with, uh, William Fraker, one of my professors at USC, cinematographer for Rosemary's baby and bullet. Um, not to name drop, but, um, but no, you're gonna, but I'm gonna, well, I already did. <laughs> <laughs> fast forward, rewind and fast forward. If you don't want to hear that part. Um, <laughs> But, uh, you know, it was, we were doing all these lighting setups, and he's like, okay, I want to see a lighting setup for horror, and I want to see a lighting setup for, for uh, thriller, and I want to see a lighting setup for action, and I want to see a light up, lighting setup for comedy. And a lot of people say that, oh, you know, if it's, um, 
if it's comedy, you kind of make it flat. You don't really you're not motivated by anything because it's not about like how the story looks. It's about the comedy of it. But take a look at comedies. They are well lit and they're, it's not like forgotten lighting so no matter what the situation or what the mood or what the tone or what the film is you're gonna you're gonna have to realize that you can't just put a light out there and light the whole scene and think that's gonna look fine yeah and that comes all those ideas i think again come down to style so like comedy has a theoretical style that you're as a consumer used to and so perhaps it is a little bit softer and kind of whatever, because they want to do these comedic wide shots Yep. because comedy kind of lives in wides more often. And so mm-hmm. everything's kind of a little bit more lit. And a lot of times they do improv. And so sometimes it's lit for multiple cameras. And so it looks a little bit different. But, um, you know, the idea of action and thriller and horror and all that, it's like, again, it's all motivated. Yeah. But it's just styled differently based on the genre and what, you know, people expect really. Yeah. Um, and then my other... My other pet peeve, almost, I would say. The, in, the dead giveaway of the lower budget look yeah, being off? And it, gum, it comes down to the same idea, but it's a little bit more specific, is the unmotivated backlight. Because everyone's so familiar with three-point lighting, and they mm-hmm. know that that's a thing. Yeah. Um, but if you actually watch movies, you'll see that a lot of times it's really just one light lighting, or like, or there's only one side that it's motivated from or two not three a lot of times there's no fill and if there is a backlight it's it's really just kind of like a bounced edge off the wall behind them it's really subtle you know it's not like this crazy light that's pointing straight at them it's it's a little you have to kind of feather it in yeah and and not only just motivation but use lighting to to direct where you want your audience to look like where they where you want them to focus because if you're just blasting out the background then they're going to be they, there's a lot of people who are just looking in the background trying to figure out what could be going on because you're their, their eyes are drawn to it because it's so well lit mm-hmm. um and so not only just what's your motivation for lighting but also what do you want the audience to focus on you know i mean um you know you you kind of want to dead in the back so they don't really care about what's going on there and that also could be you don't want them to care about what's going on there because something's going to pop out and in a horror film or a thriller Mm -hmm. something's going to happen back there and you don't want to give it away but like you can use lighting to motivate where an audience pays attention to where they look uh and and propel the story forward in the way you want to just by lighting not even by dialogue or acting yeah and in that same vein one of the keys to success Ooh. for um, Bing, cinematic lighting Take is... Take out your notebooks, because they haven't been out yet. Yep. We haven't said anything important yet until right now. Go ahead. Um, creating depth, oh. which you can do in several ways. One, one way is depth of field. So if, it, if the background's blurry, that kind of creates depth. Yep. Another way is with tone. So you can have a darker background versus the foreground being lighter, and that also creates separation and depth. Yeah. Um, so, so for a lot of people who are using, doing no budget filmmaking, you know, it's hard to get a good depth of field with lower end lenses, and that might be the lenses that you're using. I mean, for a while we used still lenses, and the depth of field wasn't, you know, the the that was pretty good. What well, we had really fast still we had lenses, fast ones, yeah. But when we had the slower ones, you know, it can be a little bit more difficult. Can be a little more difficult, and you and can't also really when get you that have sweet. the smaller sensor cameras, depending on yeah. what you're shooting on. Yeah, and so a lot of people probably listening to this are going to be shooting on DSLRs, smaller sensor sensor cameras. You're not going to be able to get that depth of field through the lenses or the camera. So lighting 
to get to kind of separate people from the background is another great way to do it at a cheaper cost than buying the expensive or renting the expensive equipment. Mm-hmm. And that's when you uh, get into that level of lighting where where you're able to darken the background because that's again a big problem with sort of indie low budget stuff is you end up with that with that dreaded white wall. Yeah. And you're trying to light your subject and you realize, oh my God, this light is bouncing everywhere and it's blowing up the wall behind them. And, and, <laughs> and then you got to go back to our department because there should be something on this wall if there's good, yeah, we're going to see let's this. Let's darken this wall somehow. Maybe instead of lighting it properly, we should just paint the wall. Something like that. <gasps> oh my gosh, but, I just saved ourselves millions. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I mean, that, that's a, a big problem. It's difficult when you, get, when you sort of get yourself in that situation. Uh, but knowing that you can, you know, the best thing to do is pull your actor as far as way away from the wall as possible, um, so you're not blowing up the wall, and it can get it darker, and then also blur it. Oh, and not and not even stuff. just blown up the wall, but then the shadows of the actors on the wall. Shadows. It just shows, gives it away that there's oh, a giant man. light right there. So if you pull your actors away from the wall and cut down on the shadows behind them on the wall. It will definitely lead itself to not looking like it's just being blasted by a light coming out of the camera. Yeah. And this brings up another great uh, topic on, yeah. on the topic of uh-huh. things that don't look right. Okay. Um, multiple shadows. Yes. Oh. So if it's motivated, it's fine. But um, Like two suns? Like two suns or two lights. Or my three suns. A lamp and another lamp. <laughs> yeah. Um, but having two shadows or multiple shadows, uh, can be a problem. And this is something that people do, uh, to kind of like get rid of shadows. They, they call it chasing shadows, Mm -hmm. uh, because what people will try to do is they'll get like one big shadow on the wall and they'll be like, ah, I don't like that. It's too dark. And so then they'll set up another light to try to fill in light into the shadow, which is not a great idea. And it blows out the background. And then all of a sudden it creates a second shadow on the wall behind, you know, yeah. on the opposite side. Yep. And then you got these two weird shadows. Um, anyway, that's kind of a... Rant a, over. Rant over. Another thing that you should be aware, uh, be aware of is um, trying not to create multiple shadows. Uh, but I personally don't hate shadows in general. No, I, I, I mean, we love the noir films and the black and whites and all that. And I love harsh shadows and I, I like shadows. But when there's no reason to have two of them and you have two of them, dead giveaway that something's off. Not great. No. And uh, shadows are a great way in horror films like we uh, like to watch and do. Um, do. And make. There we go. Now I sound like I'm a professional of some sort. Mm-hmm. Um, I make good stuff. I do things. Um, but, you know, shadows can be your worst enemy if you don't properly plan for them or expect them or want them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so let's move on because we're we uh, don't have all day to talk about this. God, this is, this better not be our longest episode yet. I know. Um, Boring so lighting. Thing, Who likes lighting? Another thing I wanted to talk about was Nerds is like color you. grading. Yeah, he just got nerdier. I know, even more so. Speaking of, aren't we coming out with a LUT package soon? Yeah, we hey. should be. <laughs> One of these days. One of these days. One of these um, days. But speaking of that, that's that's color grading. Color grading. So. People don't realize that color grading should take place in prep, during production, and post-production. It's not yep. just kind of a, a last-minute fix to try to make your footage look real pretty. Oh, never do that, please. So ideally, you want to do uh, like tests with your camera in certain scenarios that are specific to your film. Dial in 
uh, the look in each scenario. So let's say you have like day exteriors, you have night exteriors, you have day interiors in a certain location, day interiors in a different location. You want them mm-hmm. to have these different looks. Um, and you should have sort of like that figured out ahead of time with the color grading and, and create a LUT for each of those scenarios and then uh, shoot with that LUT. Yeah. Not not baked in. Not baked in. Do not bake it in. And what baking in means is that you can you can use a LUT, which is a lookup table, and allows you to kind of it's like a preset for color on your camera. Um, but don't bake it in. What that means is that you are shooting on that and recording in using that LUT, and that is the color you get in your footage. Um, you can use a monitor and put a LUT on a monitor. You can actually cameras will actually be able to display a LUT while not recording a LUT. But if you bake it in, which means you're recording that LUT onto the footage, you are limiting yourself in post by a lot. Yeah, because basically what you want to do is is maintain the log or the the raw all the data um, you can all the data you can, and be able to apply the same LUT that you had in your monitor. Uh, during production in post and theoretically they'll look the same very similar very similar depending on the monitor and then you'll be able to tweak from there so basically uh, with your test in the beginning shooting with the LUT when you get into post use the same LUT that you used that you created in pre-production shot with and you'll get um, a close to what you desired result and then from there, it's just sort of grading and, and tweaking, and, tweaking and making little decisions here and there based on uh, new discoveries in the edit room, or as they say. I think one of the best examples of pre-production, production, and post-production use of color grading um, would be um, Steven Soderbergh's Traffic. Uh, if you haven't seen this, go check it out. It's a great movie, great acting, great story. But what is also does is what it also does really well is it uses color to not only create a style but to tell a story. So all of the it, it takes place in Mexico as well as the U.S. and all the scenes that are shot in the U.S. have a nice blue hue to them. They're they're very cool. Um, they're uh, you know I would say yeah blue. They're they're very easily recognizable as blue, and so you can easily recognize that that takes place in the U.S. because the movie jumps around between locations a lot because in the scenes that take place in Mexico are very orange. They're very warm. Very um, yellow. Very yellow. Um, kind of like the desert. Yeah. Uh, and so that was a conscious decision by Steve Soderbergh, who's also the cinematographer on his own movies. Um, and he, I'm, I guarantee you, in pre-production, he thought of that. He tested it out, had his idea of what, you know, and he knew right when he was shooting a scene because he wrote it. It was like, this is going to take place in the U.S., so I'm going to apply this LUT to make this a little bluer, and I'll, I'll light accordingly. And then in post, he was able to just tweak a little bit, maybe bring out a couple of the shadows a little bit more, and uh, and add another element to the story, and that was just by the use of color. And this, I mean, this is going into a, a whole other topic. Oof. but um, Boy, does it. But... Uh, the reason that he chose that is, has to do with color theory because oh. because uh, yellow and blue are on opposite sides of the color wheel. Mm-hmm. Opposite sides of the color wheel yep. are complementary colors, and that is also why um, you see nowadays like the super popular thing to do is that sort of teal and orange look, you know. Yep. And again, those are complementary colors because they're on the opposite side of the color wheel, and so they're just pleasing when you have that um, yeah. effect. And so. 
It's no coincidence that Steven yeah. Soderbergh chose those two colors. Yellow the man's and blue. smart. Smarter than me. Um, anywho. Yeah. We're different we're, we're different n- topic for we're a different nerdy. day. Yeah, we can do a whole episode or two on color grading and LUTs and, and the meaning behind colors and why McDonald's arches are yellow and their mm. roofs were red My, and all yeah. that. I know. I, I'm nerding out like mad crazy. Um, so let's let's uh, get on to the next part of our idea of low-budget lighting, and that's to edge or not to edge. You want to explain yourself on what edging is for those who do not know? Yeah, we kind of talked about that a little bit mm-hmm. earlier, but basically the edge being a backlight that is um, on your subject, giving it that, that sort of glow or rim, as they say, edge, whatever. It's all the same type of deal. Yeah. Um, and like I said... If you watch a lot of movies that have really great cinematography, natural lighting, um, you'll notice that the edge is very, very minimal, oftentimes, if it is there at all. And so you don't have to do that. I, th- I cannot stress that enough. Three-point lighting is not yeah. a rule. It's a, it's a really... It's, it's a starter. It's a starter. Uh, to me, it's a learning tool. It's like yeah. you learn about the three-point lighting because those are like, that they exist... These three areas that you can light, and uh-huh. there's actually more than three, mm-hmm. but um, it's a thing to help you learn lighting, and then from there, you take those things and you apply them when necessary. Yeah, but you don't need a key, a fill, a backlight on every actor every time. I think what you'll notice is that cinematographers that are considered all-time greats, uh, movies that are considered beautifully shot stray away from the three-point lighting because they're able to use light in a new way or a fascinating way to tell a story. So while, yes, you know, all the cinematographers know their three-point lighting and could do, set it up in 30 seconds, not many people use it these days because it is just a standard lighting. Um, yeah. Like, experiment. Um, you know, figure out what the mood of the scene is. Figure out what the mood of your movie is. And, and don't stick to the rules, as they say. They're just there to learn. Yeah. And also, don't. Uh, it, it, it comes down to having a light touch. I think it. Yeah. You can use three point lighting, but I think it requires a certain amount of subtlety in certain areas. You don't want to have it be too heavy handed because that's when it it looks a little amateurish. I would say low budget. Um, so to me, learning how to light with um, two lights was one of the bigger things that helped me move on from what I would say was like my beginning lighting phase, uh, because doing that made me alter the way I was thinking about key lights and stuff like that. And, um, and backlights and I don't know to me, it's the best thing you can do is just look at the lighting that you like in movies yeah, and try to replicate it. Yeah. It's true for everything. Just look at the movies you like. Look, read the scripts you like, you know. Look at the editing you like, and and practice with that. Uh, the, the the rules are made to be broken. Don't let anybody tell you that you have to do three point lighting throughout, mm-hmm. or at all. Um, yeah, and also, I mean, again, the thing that also I think differentiates really well made, well lit projects comes down to sort of variety. And so you'll look at yeah. movies and you'll see some shots. It's totally you're seeing like the 
the the background and the person's in like total silhouette or something for a shot and then you cut closer and then it's a little it's different you know but like stuff like that is it makes um your movie stand out not be so just like i, I don't bland want to say or boring plain, yeah you know yeah, because boring visually and uh you know straying away from the the uh standard coverage a little when whenever you can i know it's difficult to uh do sometimes because you're dealing with time crunches and budget crunches and all that, but trying to get those lower shots, higher shots, get the camera off of eye level. Now we're going into camera angles and all that. I we know. are we are on another topic again. We just stray so much because it's all encompassing. It's all encompassing. I mean, you deal with like composition because oh. lighting and composition go together. You, yeah. If you have like really whacked uh, <laughs> composition, wiggity, wiggity, and uh, good lighting, I mean, it's still kind of weird. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Okay, so um, moving on, because we're probably boring the hell out of everyone, um, even though I'm having an enjoyable time with you here tonight. Thanks. Nah, no problem. Um, equipment options and recommendations for lighting. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, all the tiers. We talked earlier about tungsten lighting, and that's mm-hmm. great for somebody who wants mm-hmm. to, you know, if you want to start buying equipment, that's a great way to start, because yeah. you can start renting out a kit with yourself as you are, you know, DPing on smaller projects and say, hey, I have lights too. You know, you can um, rent them from me. And if you know how to use them, that's great. You can get them for $20, $30. And what does it matter if they're the newest and greatest things? Yeah. And one of the first uh, features that we did, we used all this tungsten that I had had collected over the years. And it was basically <laughs> this this brand called Color Trend that was pretty, I think it was mostly stage lighting. Yep. Uh, they did have a few like kits and stuff for broadcast, I think. Um, and it's older. Um, I don't know if they still are around. I, I don't think. So. I don't. I think, I think they, they were bought, bought out. out. And yeah, yeah, I think they were bought out, and they're they're part of somebody now. Yeah, you're right. I think they they got bought out by Century Strand. Um, anyway, those were super cheap, and I would find those all over the place on eBay, Craigslist, or whatever. And I would buy those up. I had 1K Fresnels, 2K Soft Lights. 650 uh, Fresnels, all these things, and I I collected them, built up a kit, and uh, we used them on a feature, and it, it, I mean, it does the job, you know? And again, tungsten built like tanks. I would recommend um, doing that. Also, uh, there's brands like Lowell. Yeah, these are older play. These are older companies that n- aren't necessarily big names now. They were at one point. Lowell's, I think, still a big name. It's more of like a, I, I, I always think of it as more of a student, uh, you know, piece of equipment because I think that's only because uh, I experienced them in that way. You could buy, you could rent out a Lowell kit from the school. Um, whoa, whoa, easy little, there. Little guitar action. Yeah. Um, but and maybe they're a little bit more broadcast because they're they're also kind of quirky. You would get these sort of like V lights that were basically like uh, the halogen work light bulbs that you would stick in these things, and then they included reflector umbrellas and like all yep. sorts of weird stuff. But just to show you that like Lowell is not the name it may have once been. Not to say there's nothing wrong. They have a whole series of LED lighting that I bet we didn't even know about. Just they do, yeah, yeah. yeah. Lowell Pros, and I mean the so blenders, I mean, yeah. So I mean. The names that be that there are names out there and companies out there that aren't the sexy names like your Kinos and your Ari and stuff like that, but they do great. 
they they make great products. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, Lowell, Lowell. I mean, I I've known of them. I you know, again, I was surprised at how big of a offering they have in the LED spectrum. But I mean, the little case lights we've got from them and all that. I mean, they're wow. great. All sorts of crazy stuff, and that goes back onto as well, like the idea of Kinos. The the thing that Kino had back in the day that was their business that no one else had was the fact that they had uh, color accurate tubes. Yeah, but that's they're not the only ones on the block in that regard anymore. So At you all, can, you can get color accurate uh, tubes in different sizes and whatnot from like Osram, Sylvania, like yeah. those standard bulb places, and you can just get the kind of like knockoff. I had a, a knockoff set of like Divas, basically they dimmed. And they used non-Kino brand non uh, tubes, and they were great. I mean, yeah. they were bright and great. Um, and I actually rented those. People wanted them. I don't yeah. know. I rented them out a few the, times. The biggest thing you do if you're, if, you're, if you're in the realm to buy or rent, not off brand names, but I would say just not as well known in terms of like the sexy name. Just do your research. There's some great companies out there that, that you know... I mean, maybe many people out there haven't heard of Cineo, but their Mavericks are amazing. Um, all their lights are amazing. All their lights are amazing. But it might be not a name that people jump out to. They're like, oh, I want the Sky Panels, or I want the Kino, Kino yeah. Divas, or, you know, like... Uh, and so, do your research. There's some off-off brands that are kind of knockoffs that still do the job, but there's some issues with it. But you can find some good lights out there from companies that do really good work and create a great product that isn't your sexy name. Yeah, and I think the the key also is not necessarily going out for the newest, coolest thing. Yeah. Um, you can't afford it right now. Yeah, I mean, unless you're renting. I mean, you can rent these things, like a sky panel or whatever. Um, but, like, this, the Mavericks we got, I think, are, are not the newest No, version, not at all. But they're awesome. I mean... Great. And those are remote phosphor LEDs, which are a different type of LED, which is mm-hmm. really... Really cool. I like them a lot. They're super bright, super powerful, and they create. Basically, what they do is it's like a little. It's an array of blue LEDs that um, have a phosphor panel on top of it, and the blue LEDs basically like illuminate this phosphor panel, and the phosphor panel is what actually glows, and it's really even. Yeah, it creates like a really even source, and it's super nice. Makes I'm, a nice soft light when you put some. I'm a big, big fan of it. Silk in front of it, yeah. Um, Love the Cineos. And but you know, other companies do that too. Like Aries, you can get Aries Sky Panels in remote phosphor. Uh, yeah. If you wanted to, um, but anyway. Another tangent. Another. T- I mean, again, we go we go off on so many tangents. We just love this stuff. Um, yeah, and so you know, um, and and look for new companies. Kickstarter is a great way to find cheaper cheaper products than what might be out there because they're just they want to get their name out there i mean we joined the kickstarter for the hive wasps and it was hive's first jump into led they had done plasma lights forever and this was their first offering in leds and they didn't really know if people would take to them so they did it as a kickstarter um they were their plasmas were great 150 bucks versus the thousand bucks that they are right now yeah Uh, and so we bought them, not knowing, and we're very happy with them. Um, mm-hmm. And that's one way. I mean, you, you, if it's on Kickstarter, you got to wait a little bit longer sometimes for, yep. to get the, the end product. But there's a lot of ways you can get some lighting out there that's not so expensive but still works just as well, if not better. 
Yeah. And you can go to places like, or the events like NAB, Cine, mm-hmm. Cine Gear that just happened, um, even maybe like CES, I don't know, they might have some, a little stuff, but like yeah. all these different things where they show new products that are coming out and kind of see uh, what's coming out from all these brands that maybe you haven't heard of. Yeah. Um, and then also I would just say whatever you decide to use, whether you're using a clamp light or an LED or like a Kino or what have you, just go out and practice with it so that you become proficient in your equipment because it doesn't, at the end of the day, if this is your product or your project, it doesn't matter what you're lighting with as long as you get the results out of it that you want because it really, some would argue, and I've argued this with people before, um, I do think when you're working with clients, you want to have more maybe like presentable equipment, things that people may have heard of and they might even ask for it anyway. Um, that's not what everyone agrees no. with. I personally think that, but if you're shooting your own project and you're, it's like your film, um, or even if it's your film and you have like investors and whatnot, it doesn't matter as long as you get the results that you promise to give or you desire yeah. to get, um, out of that equipment, you're good to go. I will harp until the end of this podcast in two more episodes that anything you get, no matter what kind of equipment, practice, 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 because personally, I would rather have somebody on set with older equipment that knows how to use that thing to the T and knows how to just set up anything and manipulate it as much as they want. And somebody comes with a new equipment that they really haven't tested out or don't know how to use. And then they're just kind of fumbling, fumbling around with it on set and just, that, that to me screams more unprofessionalism than somebody who comes with older equipment that they know yeah, how to use. Definitely. Like if you're sitting there trying to figure out um, you know, how to get the keynote to the right temperature and then somebody comes in and they're like, okay, well, I'm going to put up this tungsten. I know what gel I need. I'm going to point it here, put some barn doors on it, cut it here. Bam, I'm ready to go. It's like, give me that guy any day of the week. Yeah, and the thing to also remember is like the whole film industry is – it's a little janky by nature. <laughs> yeah. Like you go on film sets and they legit have foam core, just like pieces, you know, it's like things you can buy from like a craft store they're using. Yeah. I, I remember a story um, from one of my professors back in the day about a cinematographer. That, Name drop that shit. I don't even remember who it was. Oh, you I, failed. I think it was Chris Coleman. Oh yeah, there you would go. Uh, but uh, I'm jealous. DP of Phantasm. What? I don't know what else. Um, <laughs> but he was, I, whoever it was, was talking about uh, this cinematographer that he looked up to that was able to get these really great results and he, he really wanted to know the secrets. So he went on set and uh, to try to like, you know, see what he was doing uh-huh. uh, to get these results. And he was doing these sort of like beauty fashion uh, shoots and the the talent was looking really good. Yeah, had this great yeah. this great eye light, and he was like, "How do you get that eye light?" You know, and he showed up on set to see what he was doing, and realized that the guy, the cinematographer, was taking an exposed uh, little two hundred watt bulb from like a two hundred watt Fresnel. Mm-hmm. He just had an exposed uh, socket, and he taped the bulb to the end of the matte box, the top of the matte box, and just had a little exposed light bulb on the end of the matte box, and that's what gave him his special eye light look that he was so fond of. Yeah. And it, it's like stuff like that, you know? It's like, what, what does it matter how they did it? 
the end result is great. And it was so great that this guy went out and this, it was so great. This guy went out and sought it out. How do I do this? Exactly. And, and the answer was tape a bulb to the end of your map box, <laughs> tape a bulb to the end of your map box. I like, mean, what? I mean, there, we've worked with companies that have had, you know, millions of dollars investing and millions of dollars invested in them. There we go. And they just tape a boom to a boom pole to, <laughs> to the, a ladder to the top of a ladder, yeah. and you know what? It works. Who are we to judge? We laugh about it, but yeah, we joke about that one. But it uh, it totally works, and who who cares at the end of the day? Because you know who's yeah. seeing that ladder? No one. Exactly. I mean, it, it's you know it's great fodder for everyone in the industry. But the end result is we got the audio. It sounds fine. All right, good to go. Yeah. I know the uh, the audio people that are listening um, are just screaming right now, but hey, yeah, uh, you all use audio, boommates, don't you? It's the same thing. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, I mean, okay, we we're not going to go down this hole again because we could talk about equipment for hours. Yeah, we are done. equipment junkies. Um, so finally, we get into cameras, but we'll do it real quick because we could do a whole whole podcast just about cameras. But uh, there's a lot of options out there. Um, you know, there's new this ca- doesn't really fall into lighting either, but it's all related, like you said. It's all related because, you know, you get cameras that have, um, you know, great low light capabilities. You have to get less lighting. You can rely on, you know, your practical lights more. Um, our V35 we love because it has dual ISO and it can get super, super detailed in super low lighting. Um, and, you know, the A7S is another camera that has does really great in low light. And that's a little pocket cam. I mean, that's a DSLR. Mm-hmm. Um, and it does great and you don't have to use that much light. And now the new red, I think it's what is it, the Gemini? Oh, has, that's right. Has dual yeah. ISO as well. Yeah. So all these companies are starting to jump on this bandwagon to get really good low light because I mean, not only is it great for that reason, but it's almost becoming a style that you're seeing on, mm-hmm. especially in like uh, the dramatic television and stuff like that. But uh, there's this almost style of like low light uh, sort of shooting. Yeah, that's really cool. I think. I mean, some, I love it. Some of it's really cool. If it's so, you, if it, again, if it's used well, if it's used appropriately. Yeah, and I don't know. You, you love those stories, like uh, Oblivion. You know, where it's like uh, Tom Cruise is just lighting himself with a flashlight that he's bouncing off of, uh, like foam core. Yeah, in front I mean, of him. and and like, oh gosh, we could get into more stories. But like, I also love the the Oblivion story about. That the cameras are so great and the lighting technique is so great that they were able to light Tom Cruise just with LED panels that were displaying like an outdoor landscape. Mm-hmm. So they, they were able to, it was color accurate. They were able to pick up the color so it looked like he was, you know, being yeah. lit like he was outside, but he was, it was just the accurate color coming from the LED panels in front of him that was displaying like the sky. If I'm not mistaken, at that time, because this Oblivion was a little while ago. Yeah. And that was the. A Sony F65 that they mm-hmm. shot on, which was known at the time for being super low light yeah. uh, friendly. But uh, I believe they were projectors. Were they? I thought they were LED. I thought they were rear projectors oh. at the time. But uh, what you're thinking of, I think, is gravity because they did oh, the same that's thing right. in gravity. Yeah. yeah, that's right. You're right. My bad, everyone, if you actually are listening. <laughs> but either way, I mean, it's really cool. That kind of stuff I always, mm-hmm. I always find very interesting. Or even like going back farther to... Uh, Stanley Kubrick. Oh, don't bring up Barry Lyndon. Barry Lyndon candlelight oh. scene. He even had the special NASA lenses to get super wide open. For, but- those, for those who don't know, uh, Barry Lyndon is a 
I think it's a great Kubrick movie. Some people think it's a little slow. Um, but it, it he wanted to use as much natural light as possible, so he had these lenses commissioned that were used by NASA to, you know, take pictures in space in low lighting conditions and he used them on the set and there are scenes where the entire set is only lit by candlelight. And back yeah. then that's that's unheard of. That's crazy. And I think I, they were like F or T point eight or something. Oh. They were super fast. Super fast and they just t- took in a lot of light no matter how little amount of light it was. And that that kind of stuff is is just awesome. I mean pretty crazy. Oh, again, we can talk about this forever. Back to cameras. Yes, I know. God. (laughs) I think, um, you know, this is a decision that you'll have to make. All goes into the budget. Yeah, it's like budgetary, it's size, um, it's, you know, (sighs) know. uh, features, all sorts of crazy stuff. Attachments, you need it. At the end of the day, man, I mean, to me, it's like, whatever. You can... you know, get a great image out of a Canon 5D Mark II. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, it's just, it, it, you know, it's, it's one of those balancing acts where if you get a, spend a little bit more on a camera that is better in low light, then you don't need to rent as many le- uh, lights. But at the same time, you might still need to rent lights just in case. So why not save the money and just get a bunch of lights and get a camera that you really like the image that may not be the best in low light? It's, it's, it's all... Yeah, exactly. Personal preference. I also think uh, the DPs of the world would just like snarl at us at that comment of like, just you don't have to rent as many lights because the camera is a low light camera. I know. know. What are you talking about? I'm thinking like a producer. I'm like, I'm just trying to cut where I can. I know. And it while it's true. Yes. You got to, again, like do what's right for your project. You got to test things out, test the cameras. I mean, that's, I know, not super budget friendly, but. (sighs) That's ideally what you got to do in order to really sort of make your project the best it can be. This is where fights start brewing between producers and the money and the creatives oh God, and all that. And it will never end. And uh, DPs will say they're being sabotaged by producers who are trying to yeah. save money as much as they can. Exactly. And then directors will go and say, no, the producer's just trying to help out and keep the project. Oh, it's a never-ending battle, and so don't even try it. Yep. Yet I did. Yay. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I mean, we could go on and on about equipment and all that, but just remember, find the right stuff that fits your budget and what you want to do with it, and use it correctly. And by saying use it correctly, practice with it. Find out what you can do with the lighting in the shortest amount of time, and and what you're comfortable with, um, because you know you may be more comfortable with tungsten lights that don't cost that much. And if that's the case, screw it. Yeah, and I I think it's. It's finding the right blend of, you know, what works with your budget, what has the smallest footprint, because ultimately you're going to be moving around a lot. You don't want to have a ton of, like, super heavy gear, whether it's lights or camera. Yep. Um, And also, like you said, just the image that, you know, being able to get the image out of it that you want. And also where you're shooting, because if you have a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of lights that can't be directly pulled from wall power... Um, you got to get a generator. Or if you're going to be out in the middle of the yep. woods, you're going to need battery-powered lights. It just all depends. It all Lots of factors that Everything go into is connected it in is. one big, never-harmonious circle. Yep. Never, never. So, 
Yeah. I think we can move on. Yeah, we can finish this up. Everyone's probably, I'm sure. I know. Just, we're, this is probably going to be our longest episode. Oh, man. So I'm far. sorry, everyone. This is so boring, I'm sure. Just a uh, hurricane of knowledge. Knowledge Street. vomit is what I like to call it. Yeah, there we it just is. vomited knowledge everywhere. There it was. Nailed it. Um, so let's move on. What's cool? What's cool in your world of film, Alex? Well, I, the other day I saw the uh, trailer for the remake of Suspiria. Ooh, boy. If you haven't seen the original Suspiria, check it out. It's a cool movie. Cool it's, movie. Uh, it's one of those classic horror films. And yeah. Talk, I mean, talking about lighting, like Whew. that movie is notorious for having like super weird, colorful lighting. Yeah. Uh, it, it was fun back in the day. I mean, I really liked Suspiria growing up and, Love it. and uh, yeah. in film school and stuff like that. Loved it. Um, and the new version is kind of more along the lines of that natural lighting. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, they've stylized the look of the whole movie, and mm-hmm. I don't know what they shot on or anything like that, but they definitely like captured that like seventies vibe. Yeah, it's it's kind of desaturated a little bit. Desaturated, uh, and even with like the shot selection and the editing, yeah. they did like some some crazy zooms that oh. you know so seventies. But Lo- really it looks cool. awesome. It looks I'm ex- great. I'm excited. I, I really want to check it out. Um, on my end, you know, there's some news coming out, and this kind of gets me excited. Not so much for the subject matter, but who is going to be playing the subject matter. Um, they are, yet again, I don't know if it's a reboot or if it's an origin story, um, Willy Wonka. Yeah. I don't know if it follows... Played by Tom Hardy, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Actually, paid by Robert Redford. It's, 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 it's the later <laughs> years of... never-ending <laughs> Well done. Well done. Um, no, I think... I, I'm. I still haven't gotten to the bottom of it that it's if it's an origin story or if it's just like something that happens after Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, but it's just a reimagining of the character Willy Wonka. And there are three finalists, two I'm pretty stoked about, and the third I'm not so much because I just really haven't seen what he's done. So the get ready for this. I don't know if you've heard this news. No. The list of finalists for yeah. Willy Wonka is Ezra Miller, which I don't know okay. if you know who he is. I, I'm familiar with the name. He plays Flash on the TV right. show Flash, and he was yep. also in, obviously, yep. Yep. Justice League. Okay. Ryan Gosling. Okay. Interesting. I, I could get on board with that. Mm-hmm. But my number one, and this is just because I'm a huge fan, Donald Glover as Willy Wonka. Wow. Interesting. I, I like. Can you imagine the playfulness of his character in Community, like in a Willy Wonka world? That'd be pretty crazy. I mean, be, um, I, I awesome. like it. I'm on I, board. Like there's like there's those movies out there that I'm like not so stoked for until I hear who's being cast in them and I'm like on board. Yeah, I would. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think I think the the last Willy Wonka remake has has me really skeptical no matter what. Yeah, I mean um, it was good. It was very Burton esque. Yeah, uh, just because it's one of those movies, man. Really hard Childhood. to remake. Child, I mean. It, Here's another when me and Alex have our actors that we look up to and like we are like don't you ever touch anything they made iconic. Uh, we were just uh, talking. What movie we were just talking about that they remade? Papillon. Oh, Papillon with Steve McQueen, Steve the original McQueen, Steve McQueen, and Dustin Hoffman. Dustin Hoffman. And it's like you leave that alone. So good. You leave that alone. Why did you do it? Now, granted, granted the trailer looks okay. Trailer, the trailer looks okay, and I'm a big but fan I of Remy Malcolm. Am, I am almost certain. It just can't. How can it live up to that? How can it? I mean, I guess the cool thing about it is that it's going to 
open the story up to a younger generation that hasn't seen the original or, or Papillon. Or read the book. Read the book. I, I, did I call him Remy Melkin? I don't know. Did you? Oh, God. I, 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 I don't listen to you 90% yeah, of the time. That's true. I mean... <laughs> Remy Malik, sorry, excuse me if I did mispronounce his name. As I said, I love him so much. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, it's, it's, it's hard because I love Gene Wilder. I mean, oh. that man is... It's like trying to remake Blazing Saddles. Like, oh, why would you do that? Even. And it's like, you know, it's time for reimagining maybe, but I just can't get on board Unless they pull off a really good actor, because Gene Wilder made that role. He, yeah. he, that he is Willy Wonka. Don't give me anybody else. No, but I'll give it a chance if it's if it's you know, you so know. It, but th- that being said, you know, we were all like, oh my gosh, when it is remade. I mean, I can't see anybody but Tim Curry doing Pennywise. I didn't say that because I hadn't really seen it. What? Yeah. Someone told me it was a TV series or like a what? TV movie, and I had no idea. Oh, I jumped all on that when I was old enough to sneak a tape from the library. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know. Yeah, no. I mean, it's it's tough because like Steve McQueen, me and Alex love. It's like somebody trying to make The Great Escape. Oh man, yeah, that. Would what be if rough. What if somebody came up to you and said, Alex? Yep. We want your opinion because we're going to remake Love with a Proper Stranger. Yeah, I would punch <laughs> them right in the face. <laughs> There's my opinion. There's my help. Don't you do it. Don't yeah. you Don't well, you why? defile that Just movie. Just stop. For those who don't know, uh, Love with a Proper Stranger is one of Alex's favorite movies of all time. Yeah, again, Steve McQueen. Steve McQueen. And uh, I, uh, Natalie Wood. I mean, oh. Yeah. Natalie Wood. What a babe. It was true. It was love at first sight. She loved me back, though. Yeah. So <laughs> Sorry, Trevor. Not yours. Um... <laughs> Okay, another thing. Yeah, hit me. Uh, that I came across. Yeah, was this Yigrin AR six hundred. Yeah, it's an LED light. Since we were talking about lighting, and also on that point, I've never heard of Yigrin. I no. don't know if you have. Never have. But see, here's another lighting company that's coming out with something that looks awesome, and you don't know it. It's not a name brand, but yeah. it looks awesome. And I looked up their other stuff too. They have like flex lights. They have yeah. all sorts of crazy stuff. Um. But this light is like a, a six light, like a maxi brute type thing. Yeah. Um, it is a 2.5K equivalent, mm. like a 2.5K HMI mm. replacement. Um, Tell me more. But it is 600 watts, <sighs> which is bananas, as they say. B-A-N-A-N-A-S, bananas. Yeah. This ish is bananas. Exactly. For those who don't know, that means you can power it. On house power, on house easily. power, you could easily. Power two or three of them. Two or three of these two point five HMI equivalent. Yeah, and that's like blasting. That's blasting. That's blasting. That's yeah. You're on. That's, that's simulating sunlight out in a window. Yeah, or that's uh, yeah, definitely. Or like outside a window at night to create your moonlight, or like lighting an yeah. exterior. Yeah, you're doing all sorts of crazy stuff. They, I mean, I think in the announcement they even said like, oh yeah, well these things are waterproof, so you can put them right next to the water if you want to blast. Beams of light into an underwater pool. There we go. Rather also, overwater. You don't have to worry about um, you know rain. Yeah. And stuff if you have them outside your window yeah. blasting in. Ah, uh, just awesome. Anyway, lots of cool stuff with that. I mean, that I think is the brightest output for the uh, the wattage. I don't think there's anything even close to 600 watts with that output. I'm just if trying it, to wrap my head on how they're able to do that. True. Yeah. The weird thing about it is it looks like um, 
it looks like bulbs coming out of it, but I'm I'm guessing it's just some kind of like weird lens, screw on lens or attached a lens, lens that they've attached um, to. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's a little strange. It, it's it looks weird. I'm yeah. not gonna lie. It doesn't look like your normal lights, but who cares? It, yeah, who cares? Pumping out two point five. Well, I'll I definitely hey. want to test it out and see what it's like. And I think at the price point, it's only three grand. I think so. The, they say it will be. It's I think not the out yet. six lens is two, and the nine is no. It's it's three, 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 three and light for two and six for nine. It's a hundred watts per. So uh, the six hundred watt one is six lights. Six lights. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And that one is is the three grand, and then the the three hundred the three light one is two grand. Yes. Yeah. That's still a great price point. Yeah. Totally. Ah oh, man, I, I'll buy that. Give it to me. All about that. Uh, also, um, you know, they announced it a little bit ago. I was not privy to it. Um, I think they announced it in probably, I think, February. Uh, Panavision's, like, panavised uh, Red Monster AK camera. Yeah, um, the DXL2. The DLX2 Millennium. Yeah. And now, but the reason I, it came to my attention is that Panavision released uh, their Primo X series lenses, and these are an, uh, an add-on to their Primo series, which was for the DL, DXL. And what these lenses are, these lenses are so cool. They have a digital readout on the side of the lens. All the motors for, you know, iris and, fall and focus are built in, so you can control it through the camera and through an app on a phone. Yeah, which um, is crazy. Which is crazy. You don't need a follow focus. You don't need, you know, someone to pull focus. It's it's all built in and housed within the lens. Well, you probably still need someone to pull focus. Yes, but, but you don't need yes. someone to physically yes physically physically uh, use a follow focus. Use a follow focus. Um, and the Primos are smaller, so that this freaking camera with these Panavision lenses can go on a drone. Yeah, which and, is cool. Which is awesome, and they're fully sealed, waterproof, and counterbalanced to be aerodynamic. So that means those bad boys can go in the water and be fine. I feel like that's the ideal application for it. Yeah. It's like drone or maybe on the end of a jib or like, uh, yeah. you know, on a gimbal or something because, I don't know. Alex and I are not too mm. keen completely on the DXL2 because a lot of the controls can be on an app. And I'm not a huge... I, I like the idea of apps, but as of right now, they're not so reliable that I would want to trust my entire uh, focus of yeah, my project on and, them. And again, people use their phones for everything. So, you know, you use your phone for this and the battery life goes. Um, I, you know, you get I love. Disconnected. I yeah. mean, even our hives, which you can control with, uh, with an app. Yeah. If you're too far away from it or if you aren't, uh, you know, you know, nice to it, it will sort of, uh, go awry. And, and also we have the DJI Osmo and that, that whole, yeah, thing is controlled by phone. phone, and I've had my phone after a day of recording, halfway through. Again, not even a day of recording. Halfway through the day, my phone dies, and then you can't use the Osmo. Yeah. Um, and yeah. so I I like the idea, I like where they're going, but I think it's too early to implement like full controls through apps because it may not be as responsive. Um, yeah. And especially because you know, we for our hives, they don't have an Android app. We had to get an iPhone. Um, you know, it's just, it's, it's, and then you have to update it. And then if it updates, it doesn't connect to the 
camera anymore. It's it's. There's all sorts of problems that could that potentially could be, but who knows? Maybe they've solved all the problems. Yeah. Um, I'd be interested in checking it out. Uh, absolutely. I see what it does, but uh, I wouldn't be running out to use a, a camera. No. Operated by a phone, unless it was one of those uh, certain scenarios, like. A lot of some DSLRs do that too, where you can control them with the phone and stuff yeah. like that. The uh, uh, GH5s yeah. and stuff like that have an app, and you can select focus and start recording and change the settings and all that stuff. And it's really handy. I mean, we used it uh, for one shot on a project where we had a camera straight overhead of an actor, and it was up on a big stand and armed out, and you couldn't, you know, no one could operate it. Um, so it just had to be up there, and then we had to operate it from the phone, mm-hmm. which in that, I mean, it's perfect. Which that, is why it's great. this this is great for drone and but gimbal I would, operation. I, if I had to do that for the entire shoot, I think I would rip my <laughs> eyeballs out. But I don't know. I mean, again, who knows? Maybe they perfected this technology. I'd be, I'm excited to see what uh, people think about it. Panavision, hit us up for our address. You can send us a DXL2 with some Primo X lenses. We'll yeah, give it a we'll, go. We'll test it out yeah, for you. We'll, we'll slum it for you. Um, and then finally, what's cool? HP ZBook. Ooh. G5. Ooh, man. 17-incher. So me and Alex have a giant beast computer at our office that is our like visual effects computer, and this thing can just slice... 4K like slices, dices, Julian's fries. <laughs> that was a little struggle for you to get out, but uh, <laughs> that's not the first time you've said that. Um, and that thing kills it on 4K footage um, for visual effects and all that. But we also have uh, laptops. We both have ZBooks, and I love my ZBook. Um, I can edit 4K on mine. I think mine is a. Yours is a 17 inch as well. 17 inch. I don't know. Is it a G? I, I think, think it's two. G two. I think mine's a G2 as well, and yeah. it, mine's the um, 15. Yeah. And uh, so the, the the G5 is coming out. So three generations from the ones we're having we have now that we use almost every day, and we're excited. We want these things. We definitely want these things. And the I specs mean, on them are crazy. The coolest thing I thought. I mean, there's a lot of really cool things about yeah. it. Yeah. Just in terms of like the sheer power. Mm-hmm. But. Um, I like the idea that it, the monitor that's built in is like a dream color monitor, 4K, super nice, crispy, color calibrated. But the problem with monitors and uh, color accurate monitors is you have to calibrate them all the time. And you have to yeah. get this special dongle thing. Yep, which you, we have. You dwingle it over, over top dwingle of the Dwingle the dongle. And then uh, you have Story to calibrate it. But this, there's... Built into the trackpad is some type of color calibration sensor. So you set it to start, and then you close the laptop, and it calibrates the monitor automatically, which is awesome. So cool for those. I mean, we were just talking about you know color grading, and if you got a laptop and you have a color accurate monitor built in, whoo boy, makes color grading a lot better because then you don't go to another computer and be like, wait a second here. Exactly, especially when you're sharing files. So if I'm do- if Trevor's editing and I'm doing graphics or something, and we both have a monitor that's uh, the same monitor A, but then also calibrated, um, man, that's that's a game changer. That's, that's awesome. That, and and then to get into even more crazy specs, I mean, this is a laptop that could have 16 gigabytes of video, like memory. Yeah, um, and the graphics card, and then also 64, 64. gigabytes of of, of like, system memory, which is crazy. Which is crazy. And then also, how many cores did it have in the... 
I think the max, the the biggest one is could be a, a Xeon six core. And Xeons just cool. slice through like processing and rendering and all that. Yeah. And and they can have a total of ten terabytes without having like all these extra add-ons. Yep. Which is crazy. I mean, this these laptops are getting insane. I it's. It's not the tiniest laptop. Let's, let's no. point that out. My, uh, yours my, is, a, is a bit of a beast. It's a bit of a beast. I went, I went for the smaller one. It's not quite as powerful. I can still kind of get through 4K footage. Uh, and uh, But I'm definitely leaning towards the 17 this next time to try to get the mega power beast mode. I've convinced him. I think... I think, you know, once this podcast gets all the sponsors and everyone's just paying us tons of money, we'll get two of those. Yep. We're going to uh, get all them sponsors. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, just keep supporting us through the podcast, which <laughs> has no way of making money right now. But uh, one day, one day when we... Your listening is, is all the money we need, really. Oh, isn't that just the sweetest thing in the world? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I don't know. I think that's going to be about it for this episode. Yeah. What do, we, what do we hit on the time on this? Oh, right now? Oh, man. Oh, God. We're at 125. Oh, I'm so sorry, people. Wow. I'm so sorry. Well, let's get out of here. Let's Let's get out of here. Listen into two segments. Maybe like a a part one and a part two. Uh, Yeah, but then they'll be really short parts. They're not long enough. We need to go for an extra hour. I'm sorry, but people do not need to listen to us for more than 45 minutes, and that's two parts right there. That's true. <laughs> All right, guys. So that's going to do us for this episode. Thank you for joining us. You can get the show notes for this episode by visiting nobudgetfilmmaking.com slash episode eight. And don't forget to go on to iTunes. We've gotten some iTunes reviews. So yeah. thank you so much. We've gotten some five-star reviews. So thanks so much, guys. Appreciate yeah, go that. Go ahead and subscribe if you haven't subscribed. Uh, give us a rating. You know, we, we appreciate your feedback. Join uh, join the five-star party. Yeah, give join us a five the five-star star party. Exactly. Yeah. And if you have any filmmaking questions, ask away in the comments section and we will try to answer them on future episodes the best we can. And like our Facebook page, follow us on Instagram at Cinema Summit, and we will be back next week. Whether you like it or not. Yep. Later.